For an interactive version of this episode, subscribe to Criminal AF, available wherever you listen to podcasts, or visit www.criminalafpod.com. In the early hours of March 13th, 1964, Catherine Susan Genovese, known as Kitty, a 28-year-old bartender, was raped and stabbed outside the apartment building where she lived in the Kew Gardens neighborhood of Queens in New York City, New York. Kitty was born in Brooklyn, New York on July 7, 1935, to parents Vincent and Rachel Genovese. The oldest of five children, Kitty was a graduate of Prospect Heights High School and remembered as a very good student, self-assured beyond her years, and a sunny disposition, voted the equivalent of class clown in her senior year. Following her graduation in 1953, Kitty's mother witnessed a murder on the streets, which motivated the family to move to New Canaan, Connecticut. Kitty, however, remained in New York City. She was an adult and engaged to be married. The marriage lasted less than a year and was annulled. Kitty began working as a secretary at an insurance company, which she found to be mundane. By the 1950s, she had accepted a position as a bartender. In August of 1961, she was briefly arrested for bookmaking as she had been taking bets on horse races from bar patrons. She was fined $50 and she lost her job. Kitty then started working nights at Ev's 11th Hour, a bar in the Hollis neighborhood of Queens, first as a bartender, then moved up to manager, prompting her to move to Queens. In 1963, Kitty met her girlfriend, Marianne Zelankov, in a Greenwich Village nightclub. The two found a second-floor apartment together in Kew Gardens, considered a peaceful, safe area to live. At approximately 2.30 a.m. on March 13, 1964, Kitty left the bar where she worked and began driving home in a red Fiat. While waiting for a traffic light to change on Hoover Avenue, she was spotted by a man who was sitting in his parked Chevrolet Corvair. Kitty arrived home around 3.15 a.m. and parked her car in a Kew Gardens Long Island Railroad Station parking lot, about 100 feet, or 30 meters, from her apartment's door, in an alleyway at the rear of the building. As she walked towards the apartment complex, the man, who had followed her home, exited his vehicle, which he parked at a corner bus stop on Austin Street. Armed with a hunting knife, he approached Kitty. Genovese ran to the front of the building, and the man ran after her overtook her, and stabbed her twice in the back, just meters short of a police call box. It was reported that Genovese screamed, Oh my God, he stabbed me. Help me. Several neighbors heard her screams, but only a few of them recognized the sound as a cry for help. Robert Moser, one of Kitty's neighbors, shouted at the attacker, Let that girl alone. The man ran away and Kitty slowly made her way towards the rear entrance of the building, seriously injured and out of view of her neighbors. Witnesses saw the man enter his car, drive away, and return ten minutes later when he noticed that no one came to her aid. Shadowing his face with a wide-brimmed hat, he systematically searched the parking lot, the train station, and an apartment complex, eventually finding Kitty, 
who was barely conscious and lying in a hallway at the back of the building, where a locked door had prevented her from going inside. Out of view of the street and of those who may have heard or seen any sign of the initial attack, the man stabbed Genevieve 17 more times, several blows striking her neck to silence her screams before raping her, stealing $49, and running away. The two attacks spanned approximately 35 minutes, and knife wounds in Kitty's hands suggested that she attempted to defend herself. A neighbor and close friend, Sophia Farr, found Kitty shortly after the second attack and held her in her arms until an ambulance arrived. Genovese's girlfriend, Marianne Zilanko, was questioned by detectives at 7 a.m. on the morning after the murder. She was later interrogated for six hours by two other homicide detectives, whose questions centered on her relationship with Kitty. This was also the police's focus when they questioned the couple's neighbors. It was widely misconceived in the 1960s that homosexuals were more prone to romantic jealousy than heterosexuals. So it came as no surprise that at that time, Zilanko was considered a prime suspect. On March 19, 1964, six days after the stabbing, a man by the name of Winston Mosley was arrested for suspected robbery in Ozone Park after a television set was discovered in the trunk of his car. Mosley's car was searched after a local man, Raul Cleary, became suspicious when he saw Mosley removing the television from a neighbor's house. Cleary questioned Mosley, who stated that he was helping the people move. However, after consulting another neighbor, Jack Brown, who confirmed that the homeowners were not moving, Cleary called the police and the men disabled Mosley's car to ensure that he could not get away before police arrived. A detective recalled that a white car similar to Mosley's had been reported by some of the witnesses of Kitty's murder. Mosley casually fled the scene and was picked up a few blocks away. Winston Mosley was 29 years old at the time he murdered Kitty Genovese. He was from Ozone Park, Queens, and worked at Remington Rand as a tab operator, preparing the punch cards used at the time mainly for data input for digital computers. Mosley was married with three children and had no criminal record. While in custody, Mosley confessed to killing Kitty. He detailed the attack, corroborating the physical evidence at the scene. He said that his motive for the attack was simply to kill a woman, saying he preferred to kill women because they were easier and didn't fight back. He stated that he got up that night around 2 a.m. while his wife was working nights as a registered nurse and drove through Queens to find a victim. Mosley saw Kitty on her way home and followed her to the parking lot before killing her. He also confessed to committing between 30 and 40 robberies, as well as sexually assaulting and murdering two other women. In July of 1963, Mosley raped and murdered 15-year-old Barbara Kralik in her parents' Springfield Gardens home. In 12 days before Kitty's murder, he killed 24-year-old Annie Mae Johnson, who lived in South Ozone Park. Mosley murdered Annie Mae and raped her dead body. Then he set fire to her remains. Winston Mosley was charged with the murder of Kitty Genovese, but was not charged with the rapes and murders of Annie Mae Johnson or Barbara Kralik, as a man named Alvin Mitchell had already confessed to her murder. 
Mosley's trial began in June of 1964. He initially pleaded not guilty, but his attorney later changed his plea to not guilty by reason of insanity. During his testimony, Mosley described the events on the night he murdered Kitty, along with the two other murders to which he had confessed, and numerous other robberies and rapes. The jury deliberated for seven hours before returning a guilty verdict on June 11th. On June 15th, Mosley was sentenced to death for the murder of Genovese. When the jury foreman read the sentence, Mosley showed no emotion, while some spectators applauded and cheered. The presiding judge added, I don't believe in capital punishment, but when I see a monster like this, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the switch myself. On June 23rd, Mosley appeared as a defense witness in the trial of Alvin Mitchell for the murder of Barbara Kralik. After being granted immunity from prosecution, Mosley testified that he himself had killed Kralik. The trial produced a hung jury, but Mitchell was convicted in a second trial. On June 1, 1967, the New York Court of Appeals found that Mosley should have been able to argue that he was medically insane at the sentencing hearing when the trial court found that he had been legally sane, and the sentence was reduced to life imprisonment. In March of 1968, Mosley stuck a tin of spam into his rectum, hoping that the injuries would force him to be transferred from his cell in Attica Prison to a hospital. Mosley was transported for surgery, and on the way back from the hospital, he took the correctional officer's gun, escaped from the transport van, and broke into an empty house in Buffalo, New York, owned by Mr. and Mrs. Matthew Kalaga. After three days of watching TV and eating canned food, he called a local employment office and asked them to send a maid. When she arrived, he threatened her with a gun. He then raped her, warning her that if she told anyone, he would find and kill her children. On March 21st, the Kalugas went to check on the house, where they encountered Mosley, who held them hostage for more than an hour, binding and gagging Matthew and raping Mrs. Kalaga. He then took the couple's car and fled. Mosley traveled to Grand Island, where he broke into another house and held a woman and her daughter hostage for two hours before releasing them unharmed. He surrendered to police shortly afterward and was charged with escape and kidnapping, to which he pleaded guilty. Mosley was given two additional 15-year sentences to run concurrently with his life sentence. In September of 1971, Mosley participated in the Attica prison riot. He became eligible for parole in 1984. During his first parole hearing, he told the parole board that the notoriety he faced due to his crimes made him a victim, stating, For a victim outside, it's a one-time or one-hour or one-minute affair. But for the person who's caught, it's forever. At the same hearing, Mosley claimed he never intended to kill Genovese and that he considered her murder to be a mugging because people do kill people when they mug them sometimes. The board denied his request for parole. Subsequent psychiatric examinations suggested that Mosley was a necrophile. Winston Mosley died in prison in March of 2016 at the age of 81. 
Initially, the murder of Kitty Genovese was a two-paragraph blurb buried in the middle of the New York Times. Ten days after her murder, the chief of police had lunch with the editor of the Times, and they talked about the lack of witness intervention. The editor sent a reporter to question the neighbors. A subsequent article came out stating that 38 witnesses watched a rape and murder occur and didn't do a thing to stop it. Based on this article, numerous psychologists studied the case and the term, the Genovese syndrome, or the bystander effect, was developed. This diagnosis was in all major psychiatry textbooks for the next 40 years. However, in 2014, an inquiry into the accuracy of the original article found that not all of the 38 recognized, understood the severity, or saw the entire sequence of events of Kitty's assault. A few of them did attempt to call the police, but couldn't get through. There were at least two people who did get through, but didn't see the initial stabbing, so the assault was downplayed as a domestic disturbance, a low-priority call at the time. Only one witness, Joseph Fink, was aware Genevieve was stabbed in the first attack, and only Carl Ross was aware of it in the second attack. Many were entirely unaware that an assault or homicide had taken place. Some thought what they saw or heard was a domestic quarrel, a drunken brawl, or a group of friends leaving the bar when Mosley first approached Genevieve. Also, after the initial attack punctured Kitty's lungs, leading to her eventual death from asphyxiation, it is unlikely that Genovese was able to scream at any volume. By the time an accurate description of the assault was given to police, it was too late. Kitty died on the way to the hospital. According to a New York Times article dated December 28, 1974, ten years after Genovese's murder, 25-year-old Sandra Zoller was beaten to death early Christmas morning in an apartment that overlooked the site of the Genovese attack. Neighbors again said they heard screams and fierce struggles, but did nothing. Although the Genevieve syndrome was born out of an Aranus news article, it does carry some weight. You still see it today. People generally mind their own business or think that someone else will call for help. Others grab their cell phones and record a violent attack. It's up for debate whether they think someone else will call or if it's for their own social media cred. If there is one good thing that came out of this, it would be the centralized emergency number, or as we know it in the U.S., 911. At the time of Kitty's murder, people would have to call the police station's phone number. Four years after Kitty's murder, 911 was put into effect. 